0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Equuel Dubai.
1: Cornelius, there's a nice... Right. A little surprise for you last night, Barry Garrity uh, delivering news of his retirement at 11 p.m. An amazing career. I don't, don't suppose it was a shock, but still a bit of a surprise.
2: Never been so grateful for a WhatsApp group with uh, Mar- involving Marcus end of the Daily Mail, who's <laughs> so dull on a Saturday night that he's <laughs> looking at Twitter at uh, <laughs> uh, at 11 o'clock. But it was a great message uh, to get from Marcus saying that this c- career was over. It was, you know, it is one of the great national hunt careers. When people look back over the latter part of the 20th century. The first part of the 21st century. Geraghty, Walsh, McCoy, Richard Johnson, those names will all be up there. And for those who've been around a bit, it feels like, you know, the guard is really definitely changing. That was a golden era. And, uh, you know, Richard Johnson's still going. So the golden era continues but those guys those names any of them could have been champion jockey if they were uh there on their own uh obviously we've got richard johnson still going but now we've got the new generation coming to the fore but it it feels like a a really significant moment no mccoy anymore no ruby walsh anymore no Barry Geraghty anymore. Keep going, Dickie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dickie Johnstone feel increasingly lonely, I should think, but let's hope he does
1: carry on for for a good bit longer yet. As for Barry Geraghty, a brilliant big race jockey, a great tactician, very brave as well, and quite an important final chapter of his
2: career. At Cheltenham this year.
1: Very important mm. final chapter of his career, I would say.
2: Yeah, he has written... It, I, I started writing um, some, down a list of some of the names. There's my, there's my list, uh, and in the end yeah, I just had exactly. to... Uh, I had to give it up. But you're talking about, obviously, more recently, you're talking about the champion hurdler uh, this year, Epitont, you're talking about uh, horses like Sprinter Sacra, uh, Finian's Rainbow, uh, but then you go right, and I'm, I'm missing out lots Moscow of them as I go. Moscow But then going all the way back to mm. Moscow Flyer and Montes Pass, mm. um, winning the Grand National all those years ago. So he was right up there as a very intelligent jump jockey great tactician as you say great communicator as well uh, he he was he always uh, he, was, he was good at so he's been very good at social media and very good at television good at radio good at uh, giving good quotes to to the written media and he's always uh, been able to take advantage of that but moscow flyer uh, that a few year, He's a few years ago now, but he was, he was one of the true greats, wasn't he? And Garrity on him uh, when they were going a, what felt like a million miles an hour around Cheltenham or Sandham. And then at Cheltenham, famously one year, it went wrong, but he was there to communicate his side of, uh, of the story. Uh, and uh, so that turned out to be a down, but most of it was ups with Moscow Flyer and so many other uh, great horses, more recently riding for, um, for J.P. McManus. Yeah. So... The the, the million-dollar question now is who will be um, the number one rider or riders donning those famous green and gold silks?
1: Well, you would imagine that Mark Walsh will continue to pit, have the pick of the rides in Ireland, and I presume that here Aiden it'll Coleman, be do you think? Uh, either Aidan Coleman or, or if they want to promote John Joe O'Neill Jr., if he'd want yeah. to take the, take well, the there job. There are so many horses. He'd but- be... Maybe there are enough
2: for, for for all of them. Mark Walsh has never shown any obvious enthusiasm for spending any more time in the UK than mm. uh, than than he has done in the past. But but you know, a lot of horses, a lot of very good horses. And uh, lots of uh, lots of opportunities for the McManus team to to, to decide who they want to uh, who, who they want to use. Now,
1: it's a fabulous career for Barry Garrity, mm. as we say, ending on a high, which was great because there'd been a couple of years where people yeah. had said, "Oh, is he going to retire?" And there was quite a lot of yapping, wasn't there? There was a bit of yapping about how secure he was in the job and, and whatnot, but it was great that he could end on a real high. Five winners at Cheltenham, champion hurdle for JP and for Nicky Henderson, to, yeah. with
2: whom he was very close. But that must be that must have been so satisfying for him at Cheltenham uh, this year because the yap-yap-yap, you know, is Garrity past his sell-by date, you know, oh, Garrity. you know, there had been a lot of that, and you and I are aware of it, going to the races, regularly being involved in the racing media, he will certainly have been aware of it as well, mm. but to go to Cheltenham this year, and to have a real vintage Cheltenham with so much success, when it must have been in the back of his mind he wasn't going to be going on for all that much longer, yeah. just a bit of a pity that Paul Townend got more horses, <laughs> so he ended up actually as the, the top rider, I think, didn't he, at, mm. the, at the festival. But
1: great that he could do it on his own terms, and a lovely mm. picture of him and his his
2: lovely family there yeah. that he released yesterday, but, and well, showing
1: you what's what's important to and him. And
2: back to the communications thing. Yeah. He that, he obviously knew exactly what he was doing. It's a it is a it's a photograph well worth having a look at on social media mm. today. Him and his wife and the three children as well. Uh, and oh, there it is. And. Uh, you know um, he'll he'll be spending even more time with his family in the future, and especially
1: after after that really nasty leg break that he had yeah. 18 months or so ago at, at Aintree to recover from that and do what he did, um, fantastic. And Barry, we we wish you well. Now I'm led to believe that Barry held a party last night, announced the retirement at 11, to put the message on Twitter, and was intending to party Switch the phone off. quite long <laughs> into the night. So we are hoping, or I'm hoping, Barry, that you might have just woken and maybe we'll get a word with you before the end of the program but i think a
2: one hour special in the future is is you know because he's got so much to talk about so many horses so so many interesting Mm. stories to tell from from all those years i think it'd be I'm, you know, I'm not trying to tell your production team what to do, but a, a, a Nick Luck Barry Garrity one-hour special would fly by. He'll I'm be sure.
1: on Cornelius cast in a couple of weeks.
2: Won't well, you? funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> right to
1: yesterday, and to the highlight of yesterday, what a great story this was! Oxted winning for Roger Teal and Kieran Fallon. Now, a bit of trivia for you to help us with: who was the last, if there has been one, claiming apprentice rider to win a Group One race in the UK? We think Donica O'Brien might have done it in Ireland. But William Haggis was the man who posed this question to me yesterday. I honestly can't think of one. William has reminded me that Tony Ives was third on Remainder Man in the derby when he was a claiming apprentice. But has there been in the UK a claiming apprentice to win a Group 1 race? There was yesterday. His name was Kieran Fallon.
2: And uh, he delivered Oxford. A, a victory for Roger Teal, a famous victory, and obviously over jumps Lizzie Kelly and yeah. I think Robert Widger have uh, have um, have won major prizes when claiming. But the, this was magnificent, wasn't it? Um, and you know that there he is. It, you know, Golden Hall here was got the rail to uh, to run against, and uh, you know he keeps on really well. He doesn't lose a massive amount in defeat, does he? But just the way that this horse storms storms on, and he'd won the. Avenant stakes in good style in a really good time. And I think there are one or two tipsters, aren't there, who were thinking, why didn't we think a little bit harder about this horse? Marcus Armitage, though, of the Daily Telegraph. He doesn't tip many winners, but I think he napped this one. Actually he tips lots of winners, but I think he 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 did nap this one. And that's a that's a famous victory for the Teal family, for Kieran Fallon, and for this magnificent horse who'd obviously been targeted at this prize. Uh, no disrespect. I mean he's by Mason, who won the July Cup, who many people will tell you is a most
1: underrated Stallion, and, and this certainly seems to back that up. He's got a he's got a very um blue-collar pedigree on the damn side. It's Sir Roger Teal's great credit that he's made him into such a terrific racehorse. I'd love to see him in the Nunthorpe. Would you? Taking on Batash, I really would. Hmm. I'm not saying he'd beat him, but I'd love to see him there. Because it's, well, be it's a fast yeah, six, great, great, great that. Great to see. Newmarket.
2: But do you know, Roger Teal is the, and, and this is no longer the case, but over the last two or three years, he has been a trainer that, that people have because in racing, people do tend to underestimate the less obvious suspects. Mm. And this person, Roger Teal and the Roger Teal team is one person who has really ensured with, what, Tip to Win, Kenzai Warrior, Ocean Wind. Uh, I remember him winning a, a nice bumper, I think, at, uh, at Newbury. Mm. Um, you know, th- this is, a, uh, this is a, uh, a, a team to underestimate at your peril. And uh, they've come really good yesterday uh, with Oxted in
1: his 14th season and what marks out a really good trainer is a trainer with a plan, a long-term plan which can be executed. It was brave to miss Royal Ascot with this horse when you don't have that many stars in your yard to miss a potentially golden opportunity on the biggest stage because you want to win the July Cup. Last autumn Nick Lightfoot went down to Roger Teal's yard to see his string amongst whom Oxford was there, might have just won the Portland at the time, and he asked Roger Teal what the future might hold for this
3: horse. Is, is there a dream race with him? Uh, I, I'd like to, I know probably very high, but I, I, I'd i like to sort of, um, I've got the July Cup in mind, that, that's my target. Um, if he progresses, obviously, we're not going to go there, like i say I won't throw him in at the deep end if he's, if he's not good enough, but that's something I'd like to build for, yeah.
1: And that is why he's a good trainer. <laughs> I mean, and that, that is, is why
2: following those, those type of films on, on racing TV is such, a, such an important thing to do. But no, to come, and, uh, don't you love that uh, in his voice as though he's saying, am I about to tell all these viewers that, that oh, the July mm-hmm. Cup? And but, but uh, you know, how many months later, year later, whatever it is, there you are um, pl- playing it again and showing what a, what a great um, tactician mm-hmm. and planner uh, he is.
1: And there he is, Roger Teal, right over your shoulder, Cornelius. Roger, how are you? Good morning. Have you, reco- have you recovered from yesterday?
3: Uh, a little bit fuzzy, Nick, but yeah, we're all good this morning. Thank you.
1: And most importantly, how's Oxford?
3: Yeah, he's grand. Um, absolutely fine. He's been out this morning for a pick of grass. Um, seems great. So we're very happy with him.
1: And that was just wonderful yesterday. Your enthusiasm, Harry's enthusiasm, as I said to you both, when I interviewed you, it was, it was so infectious. It sort of made, it made us all feel like there was a, a crowd, an atmosphere, you brought Newmarket to life.
3: It was, it was wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, we, we do get a bit overexcited, I suppose, but you can't help it in days like that.
1: And there seemed to be a sense that, that you and, and Harry, your son, who, who's been so closely involved with this horse, you really felt that, that you had him absolutely where you wanted to. Do you feel that missing Ascot was the key? Do you feel that freshness was the key?
3: Absolutely. Um, Obviously, after the Abernant, he he raced on very quick ground and he was just a little bit sort of jarred up afterwards. Not serious, but just a bit stiff and sore after that first run on the ground. Um, So then we decided, had a chat with the owners and just said, look, we'd be silly to go to Ascot. Let's freshen him up and go. Our goal was the July Cup all along. Um, so let's go there fitting well. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and obviously it paid off yesterday.
1: And it was great seeing that clip from, from when Nick came down to interview you last year and you were very tentative saying the July Cup, almost as if you were worried that you might make a fool <coughs> of yourself by suggesting something so bold.
3: <laughs> well, you know, you have always have these dreams and this horse, um, when you see him in the morning, Nick, he, um, he puts a big smile on your face and uh he's 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 a he's a talented horse and um he, I say when he won the Portland last year as a three year old with top weight, um, you know, he had to be taken seriously and I knew he was gonna progress over the winter because I've said it all along, he was just a shell of a horse last year. Um, but this year he's he's muscled up, he's strengthened up all round and and when this horse works in the mornings, it's breathtaking and um, you can't help but get excited. And uh, if someone else has got a faster horse, you think, well, fair play to them. But um, no, he, he, he's, uh, he's very exciting.
1: And obviously you've built up this rapport. He's built up this great rapport with, with Kieran Fallon, to whom you, you stayed loyal yesterday and it, it worked beautifully before yesterday what was it about his riding that you liked what first of all made you put him on one of your horses
3: um uh, he, he i know he probably doesn't like to be compared to his dad but um he's got a very good racing brain um uh, i watched him last year you know he uh, he was very mature for his age and he, to be fair the kid's only been riding about 3 years i think so obviously he's just got natural talent um, and um, I like his confidence he's got you know he comes out with a smile on his face he's a cheeky chap um, but I think when you've got a smile on your face you ride better um, and he he doesn't seem to feel the pressure he's got he's got his um, his dad's blood in him that's for sure.
1: Now I, I'd suggested um, this morning that I'd love to see him run in the Nunthorpe against the best five furlong horses as well. Is that tempting to you or, or are you inclined to keep him at six?
3: Um, I think we'll sit down now and uh, obviously, I mean, the pace he showed yesterday he travels so strong. I mean, you could you could possibly have a punt at the Nunthorpe, I think. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he is a strong galloper and... Uh, He's, he's just got that cruising speed that takes him into the race, and um, yeah, I, I, I guess I guess it would be worth a shot, maybe, you know. Um, but I have to speak to the owners, uh, Steve Piper, David Fish, and uh, Tony Hirshfield. and uh, we'll get our heads together and and uh, and see what happens. As I'll talk to the boys as Aiden says. So uh, yeah, <laughs> all the you sit, lads.
1: <laughs> you'll sit down with the lads. Just a different, just a different set of lads.
3: Yeah, uh, I'll sit down with the lads. <laughs> Roger.
1: Um, enjoy your sit-down with the lads. I hope it uh, yields the result that we see him taking on Batash and Cohen and thought. but for the time being, just enjoy the success, which was a brilliantly executed plan. Thanks so much for talking to us.
3: Cheers, Nick. Thank you very much. Cheers.
1: Roger Teal, the trainer of uh, Oxton I think that would be a, a heck of a
2: clash at York. Oh, it? It, it, it definitely would be. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, that clearly racing has, uh, has, as with so many other millions of people around the world, has taken uh, these hits this year from this, this terrible disease. But the thing about racing is that um, it, it, there could be a reward later on in the year with some exceptional, well, there already has been uh, some, some reward for the, for the patients of get, getting through it all with some magnificent racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the eclipse Stakes the other day uh, and coming up. Sussex Stakes at Goodwood, oh. practically every day of the week I see another horse who's won in great style somewhere, we're off to the Sussex mm. Stakes uh, which uh, that could be a, a real highlight, something like the Nunthorpe but also International Stakes and uh, Yorkshire Oaks, lots of star names and working all the way through perhaps to the Prix de Triomphe in uh, in October and then on to America. Uh, there, there is you know it's been a desperate, desperate year but um, you know, one doesn't have to be a major spin doctor no. to try and spot some some um, light at the end of the tunnel.
1: The quality of the racing is definitely sustaining us, even though we have some serious underlying problems. More of which later mm. on. And talking of the Sussex stakes, I'll be talking to Charlie Appleby. Though yesterday he suggested that even if Pinatubo wins the Jean Prat this afternoon, he's unlikely to head to the Sussex. Let's have a look at some of the best racing from the July Festival outside the July Cup. We'll start with the Bunbury Cup. If one horse owes one man an awful lot for loyalty, it's Motta Kale to Jim Crowley, because he picked him ahead of the market at Ascot, mm. and he picked him ahead of the market again yesterday, and he's been proved spot on both times. He obviously knows this horse is a bit, and he's, not special but
2: good. And he's clearly an exceptional judge, isn't he? Mm. Uh, that, that this uh, It's no coincidence this has happened more than once, but those colours this year it has been a it's been a joy to see Sheik Hamdan having uh, such a good Ascot and such a good time left right and Mm -hmm. centre at the moment Um, and um, you know other members of the uh, Maktoum family have probably dominated the racing headlines over the last year or two but Sheik Hamdan is bang there with Jim Crowley uh, and with a, a magnificent uh, sort of army of, of good racehorses.
1: horses. And so Sheik Hamdan has got a pretty decent shot at being leading owner this year mm. in this shortened season. Nazif was another group one winner for him in the Falmouth Stakes. John Gosden expressed some surprise that Nazif had been able to beat his better fancy Terabellum, Terab- Terabellum in the Godolphin blue. Grand Bilsdenbrook the far side, what a smashing mare she is but Nazif Came to claim them both, Cornelius. Yeah,
2: I thought one master ran okay as well and was perhaps a little bit luckless. But uh, yeah, here, here's another one, and that was a, a, tr- a tremendous finish. Sort of four horses ending up uh, involved there. And um, yeah, the, the, as I say, the Sheikh Hamdan bandwagon is rolling on and rolling on at a certain certain pace, isn't it?
1: When John Gosden, before Royal Ascot, was asked to nominate a charity bet in aid of racing welfare, he nominated oh, yeah. Nazif Did in he? the in the Duchess of Cambridge Stakes. Um, and or the Duke of Cambridge Stakes I should say and uh, probably in measure of the indication that he thought she was a group one filly mm. and indeed she proved in the Falmouth. It wasn't the only success for Sheikh Hamden either because Al Arzi took the Bahrain Trophy <laughs> for William Haggis, always the apple of his eye this horse and he's now delivered and delivered in quite some style.
2: Yeah. Do you think he's going to be a ledger horse? Well that, that, that's, the, that's the general feeling, here we are, uh, that, that's the general feeling, he, he keeps on Really well, doesn't he? But he travelled so smoothly and through the yeah, race. I mentioned the Sussex Stakes and onto the Arc, etc. But the Ledger, especially if Serpentine ended up at, mm. in the St Ledger, that's that's looking re- uh, a, a really good race as well. Um, looks as though the final classic can at least take place on the day that uh, was planned.
1: We ought to talk about the Princess of Wales's Stakes because it was a, the most significant victory in the career of Holly Doyle to date. Her first Group Two success, her first Group race success. In fact, a dam Mayo, the winner for Ed Vaughan in the Oppenheimer colours. In the end, she's won this really quite comfortably.
2: Absolutely, uh, and uh, is cl- is clearly a horse going going forward, you know, um, r- uh, really nicely. And you know, the fact is. With Holly Doyle, I'm always split on Holly Doyle. On the one hand, she is a very good jockey and she's working her way up the ladder, and that was Group Two, wasn't it? Um, and whether it's whether it's relevant that she's a man or a woman, uh, I uh, personally I, I um, think is is debatable. That you know, the fact is she is an exceptionally good jockey who's going up the ladder. And although Kieran Fallon grabbed the Group One headlines from Newmarket, it won't be too long, I'm sure, between before Holly Doyle's doing that. And the interesting point
1: about this filly is that Frankie de Tori rode her last year at Newmarket and said, never run her on soft ground again. And the ground had got quite soft. Yeah. So perhaps on a, a sounder surface, she might be better. Even better.
2: Still. Yeah. No, it's ex- exciting going forward.
1: And so some of those. I don't know smaller trainers, but some of those less heralded trainers certainly enjoying their moments in the sun this week.
2: And that is a really important thing, isn't it? Of course, we admire Aidan O'Brien and John Gosden, William Haggis and the Godolphin team, and for their for their the, the the skillful way they deal with these masses of of good horses. But when it's Roger Teal, when it's Ed Vaughan, when it's some of the less heralded uh, people, that is. That that's fantastic for for as well as seeing good sport, but to have a real I hate the word narrative. Uh, it, it makes me sound as though I have spent too much time in a marketing agency. But to give the you're going to use it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, it's like all ghastly words. They quite often mean something perfectly easy to understand. But 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 the but the fact is the narrative. Regardless of everyone outside the sport, it's really—I think—it's really good for people inside the sport. There's Roger Teal doing this, nearly beating the last one home as he runs through the uh, <laughs> the, the, the winners' enclosure, uh, and and Ed Vaughan and and other people as well. So to have the variety, of course, we admire the big people and how they do it consistently, but to have some of those other guys popping up every now and again is really healthy. And no more so than Mark Johnston, who's who's trained more winners than any other person in Great Britain, and he
1: trained a Group Two winner. Uh, In the Dante Stakes on on Thursday. He also trained the the Musadora winner as well. Thunderous was the Dante Stakes winner in the colours of High Clear Thoroughbred Racing. Another enormous success story for this stallion sensation, Night of Thunder, and and getting the better
2: of of highest ground. But that only tells a third of the story, Cornelius. Mm. It was, um, you know, when these horses come with massive reputations to, to the races like highest ground. So, you know, he's, he's coming to, uh, I, th- I think those who got stuck in or were really looking forward to this latest Michael Stout, big noise, there he is. And uh, he just never, he, he doesn't stride on in the way that it was probably anticipated by his supporters that he would. And here uh, comes his nemesis to do him same uh, Murphy gave himself
1: a bit of a hard time for hitting the front too soon on yeah. highest ground. And of course Franny Norton got the nine day whip ban for hitting Thunderous fourteen mm. times. So that debate. That debate gets oxygenated yeah. again slightly by this, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, and it, you know, is there a solution to the to the debate? Is there a right side or a wrong side? Well the answer to that is probably no. But uh, it was a it was a tremendous horse race, whatever, wasn't it? It was. And what about the winner? I mean again
1: St Ledger was talked yeah. about for him,
2: but what do you think?
1: That was ten and a half furlongs. I don't think he's short of pace, and I, I'm not sure his pedigree's screaming out for a mile and three quarters. And and that's uh, from there
2: to the St. Ledger, It's mm. a it's a long way forward, isn't Classic
1: it? Classic cliche. I remember won the Dante and the St. Ledger in the same right. season, didn't he?
2: But I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to of, I'm going to I'm going to say well done with that uh, <laughs> particular. There was a bit gem. of water
1: under the bridge, I think. Um, the Musadora Stakes went to Rose of mm. Kildare. She cost three grand. Now, every story like this is important at the moment because we've seen today, and we're going to talk about it later. Owners, they're not going to stay in the game under current conditions unless there's significant incentive to do so.
2: And, and here is a you know, th- this, is, this is classic Mark Johnston in so many ways, isn't it? Uh, th- this is a, a horse who's you know, who's, who's coming out again quickly, cheaply bought, as you say, uh, and strides on to a, to a famous success in completing a famous. I was about to say classic trial double, but um, uh, we'll have to call it the famous Mussadora Dante double uh, for, for the Johnston team this year and for Franny Norton, who uh, um, I, I keep meaning, all week I've been meaning to look up exactly how old Franny Norton is, because he has been around forever. Uh, but uh, he is, he's in, in magic form and he's another of the, you know, he's well heralded, Frankie mm-hmm. Norton. However, he's not hitting the, you know, when, when uh, on, a, on a normal Super Saturday, when the Frankie de and the Ryan Moores are taking part in the July Cup, he'd be around Ch- going around Chester. Yeah. Uh, so he is not heralded in quite the same way out, uh, you know, on the, on the very biggest uh, occasions. But my goodness, he is, a, he, a, he's a brilliant rider and he's a fantastic character as well and um, you know every sport needs those type of people you know you want your brilliance you want your people who perhaps do let their riding do the talking but you also want the really demonstrative guys and franny norton would be a a perfect example of that
1: and there was a sense of rolling back the years as well in the big race at ascot yesterday uh, for marcus tregoning training another real top notcher for sheikh hamdan in uh, mahartha now, this is a horse who had no luck at, the t- at all at the Royal meeting, but he
2: absolutely annihilated his field, But he had, it? not only did he have no luck at all, but he had conspicuous bad luck that went on and on and on and on. Mm. And watching the, um, it was the Queen Anne, wasn't it? You, yeah, and he'd been quite well touted for the Queen Anne. You thought, it's bound, to, it's, things are bound to work out in a minute. But, but they, what was it? it, must have been a quarter of a mile that, for a quarter of a mile, he was uh, really struggling. But I thought yesterday... When it was priced up yesterday's race, I really thought that the bookmakers were being generous on the, on on, on those. <laughs> Quite source. easy to say now, uh, but well, yes. Well, no, I did. Funny enough, I'm not sure if one's meant to mention rival podcasts to, to, to your own absolutely outstanding <laughs> podcast. I'm Nick, sorry, I've Nick already, Lug, given, Lug, Lug I've Lug already given Cornelius uh, Cast a plug. So no, uh, they, I, I was on with one with SportingLife.com mm-hmm. this week, and uh, I, did, I really at the time I think it was eleven to four, Mahatha. Uh, and I just thought that was stunning. And for a professional punter who l- likes the horse, likes its reputation coming to the season, uh, lamented the fact that Ascot went wrong, to, to line up in a, a nice race yesterday. But, uh, you know, if, that, if things had gone right at Royal Ascot, he, he might easily have won the Queen Anne. And yesterday, I, I thought it was... I, I just, I'd sat transfixed. Just occasionally you have a bet in a race. And you just know that yeah. you're going to win yeah. from practically the word go. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, it was, oh, we can't play that, can we? So that, that's, what I was about to say, are you yeah. about to cue it in? But no, uh, but, uh, no you're not. <laughs> but it was a really, really nice performance.
1: I am, however, about to say a very good morning to Marcus Dragoning, the trainer of Mahartha. Marcus, good morning. Morning, Nick. And the question we all went into, you didn't have this question, well, we had the question going into yesterday was, was he a real hard luck story at Royal Ascot? Is he a bit of a wise guy horse or is he a real top-notcher? Well, he answered that for sure, didn't he?
0: Oh, yes, I think so. Um, well, see, we have to move on to the Royal of things. We all know, you know, that these things happen in racing, and it was, it was very, very unlucky. I mean, I, I I couldn't believe, that you know, we had it so well on the day, and it's just, you know, the way things worked out, everything went completely wrong. But um, at least he came back in perfect shape and was fresh and well. and was able to do what he did yesterday, which I, I think has um, being a pretty decent.
1: He was extremely decent, and he's a horse who clearly has been working extremely well this season as well. You said he's the best miler you've ever trained. You stopped short of saying he's the best horse I've ever trained.
0: Uh, yeah, I thought... Oh. No, I mean, suppose he was a very, very good two-year-old. And, and, you know, was was very good in the guineas. Just bumped into George Washington. He was a, he was a very good horse. Um, I obviously went on to win the Derby, so that was... Um, you know, amazing. But, you know, this horse, I think he, um, I just love that um, that turn of gear, that turn of speed. I mean, he, you know, he could easily have gone the sprinting route. and I think you'd have found that if he'd done that, he'd have, he'd have won those good races as well. But, um, you know, to get a, a good miler, um, it's very good for, you know, the breathing operation in the future and also, you know, um, wonderful for showcasing who stands next door to next door to me here at Whitsbury. Um, but, you know, you know, he's, he's, I think he's a force to be reckoned with from now on. He is
1: most certainly a force to be reckoned yeah. with. Would the Would the Sussex Stakes be the next obvious target for him? Do you fancy a crack at, at Siskin and maybe Pinatubo and almost certainly Circus Maximus again, the horse who finished in front of you in the Queen Anne?
0: Yes, I, I mean, I, I think probably, you know, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? But if he got a run in the Queen Anne, I think he'd have known I've won that race. So I think you know, um, we'd be quite happy to take them on. And um, I think it's the, the way we want to go with him. Um, obviously, I mean, constant discussion with the um, the powers of the owners and Shea Hamdan and Richard, Richard Hills, Angus Gold, everybody, you know, it's all, they're all in part of the mix, um, talking about, and discussing it. But I think at the moment... It looks like the Sussex stakes is um, is on the cards.
1: Marcus, your own association with Shadwell and, and Sheikh Hamdan goes back over three decades to your time working for, for Major Hearn and, and the Greats and Unferwen and, and Nashwan, of course. And then you trained you trained their relative Nayef so so beautifully. Just try and give me an indication of the satisfaction you get from winning a huge prize at Ascot with those those blue and white silks again.
0: Oh, it's marvellous. You know, I mean, he, I, I think I've got so sort of going back to the sort of beginning of the whole thing when they first the back first came on the scene I mean what they've done for racing in this country is is phenomenal and you know their passion for it time and time again we don't always have a good year Um, you know studs go in um, troughs sometimes they have good years sometimes they have bad years and the enthusiasm for it over the last whatever it is 40 years or so it's been amazing and I've been lucky to be a very very small cog um, in in the wheel and I've I've been delighted to train Good horses for him, and when Dick Holmes was training, I was very lucky to be in amongst uh, the Nashwans, the Dejors, and all uh, you know, all the progeny of fashion. So I've had a great run with it, and um, I know I was, I'm glad I became a trainer in the end. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and as, as far as the the young blood coming through is concerned, can you can you tell us that now this is no this is no one one horse stable? There are there are some some really promising youngsters coming through behind Mahartha.
0: Oh yeah, I think so. I mean. I, I mean, you know, I think I've been mean, lucky enough that um, Shea Hamlin supported me well over the years, and, and, we, and we've got some nice two-year-olds for him hopefully this year. Uh, we, obviously, there's been a shortage of drill races, and it's difficult making the plans with them because um, their program is, is announced quite late, and, you know, races have moved around. It's quite difficult seeing where to go with them. Um, so, you know, but, you know, I think um, it, it, gradually sort of getting back on the even keel. Um, with the uh, coronavirus, hopefully, and we can get if we get this under control, we'll have a better time of it next year. But you know, um, it's been quite difficult making plans. But I, I think um, we've got a decent bunch of two olds. Um, let's just see. Um, they, you know, I think the proof's in the pudding, as they say.
1: Anything you're going to unleash over the next week or two?
0: Um, yes, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, we, 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 the first two old we we ran uh, was placed first time out, then one the next time at Goodwood. And uh, so that was encouraging because we've got some, I mean, I've got several that I like. Um, I think was a nice Oasis Stream called. Uh, bearing in mind that showcasing is by Oasis Dream, so I'm keen on that bloodline. But we've got a nice horse called Taz Feek, who we, who we like a lot, by Oasis Dream, as of man called Blinking. And so um, hopefully, you know, he'll be a sort of six, seven following horse, and, uh, and, and hopefully there'll be more to come.
1: Well, we very much look forward to seeing him out. Marcus, thanks so much. Well done yesterday. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Thanks a lot. Marcus Troganig, I've dutifully written down Tasfees by Oasis Dream out of blinking. <laughs> if you can't hear the name, always note down the pedigree and you'll uh, pop out somewhere. But um, I, I, I'm not saying the comparison is a valid one. But I was I don't know why. Just in the middle of that conversation, when I asked mm. about the young blood coming through, I remember being at a press conference in 2000 and. Ten, just when Henry Cecil had started training Group One winners for Judmont Farms again yeah. after a fairly long period without much success. And there was a press conference on the July course and somebody said to him, have you got any nice youngsters for, for, <laughs> for Judmont Farms? And he said, yes, I've got one called Franklin, at which point Teddy Grimthorpe elbowed him and said, I think you'll find it's called Frankel, Henry. <laughs> oh, <that's> a... <laughs> he ran two weeks later. And, uh, and the rest, as they say, is? Yeah, the rest, as they say, yeah. exactly. Talking of... Um, We're going to talk to Lizzie Kelly in a few moments time, but I wanted just to talk about a couple of two-year-old performances from yesterday. Um, First of all, I wanted to talk about Master of the Seas, who won the superlative stakes at, at Newmarket. Um, that, that was a, a very impressive performance. We're hoping to connect with Charlie Appleby a little bit later in the very end. He's en route at the moment from Newmarket to, to Deauville where he's gonna run Pinatubo in the Prix jean Pratt. But that's the third consecutive season now that he's unleashed mm. a, a potential seven furlong top-notch two-year-old at this stage of the
2: year. Yeah, the, this was a really exciting, a very exciting performance, wasn't it? Up the middle there and I just, I, I, loved, his, I loved his attitude. Now, these are obviously uh, young, inexperienced horses, but the maturity of that performance was, was really striking. A, c- a combination of maturity and stylishness, and uh, clearly there is a lot to look forward to uh, on that front. So the answer has come through to the question earlier about the claiming apprentice to win a Group 1 race. And, and how, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised are you? Or how much uh, should we have got it? It,
1: depends. it sort of depends on your vintage, really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you should you have got it. I shouldn't have got it. You should have got it. Um, it was Billy Noon's Time Charter, 1982 ah, 82. Oaks. 82. But you have to go back a long way. Yeah. Anyone can think of another one between then and now, just um, just send it in to us. The other notable two year old performance, well, there are quite a few notable two year old performances, but the other really notable one I thought was Mason
2: at Leopardstown. Uh, Leopardstown. I know you yeah. wanted to touch on this. Another well, one for Joe Lyons talking of Judmont Farms. And in the, uh, yeah, Judmont colours here and uh, again it was a thoroughly mature performance i, th- I think it also indicates after the, the good horse that they've had f- this year siskin for the um for uh, for the, the Juddmonte team it shows how much i think jer and his jer lines and his team at glenburnie stables have quite a few horses he he's had to keep the horse sort of going but and he's it's not a it's not been a massive 10-length success or something like that, but I thought the again, the maturity and the authority that he was able to show there and to, by keeping on. He's got a good reputation, uh, and I think that he's got a good future as well.
1: Quite understandably, plenty of you National Hunt fans will be throwing things at the TV and saying, why no mention of the jumping this week? Josh Wright has been in touch, saying, shameless plug, but if you could squeeze in a mention of really super summer plate win, massive for a small syndicate like ours, superb job Amy Murphy
2: is doing, and how yeah. integral syndicates are for the game that would be great so josh your wish and i'll tell you what tomorrow. the big race at utoxeter on monday manella celebration won that got up on the line uh that's now three out of three for that horse at utoxeter as well so i'll throw my two penny worth in too.
1: and also i in 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 response to to, to more um uh, brick bats that i was being thrown last week when i didn't mention callum shepherd had had two hat tricks in consecutive days he's now i think had something like 14 winners in the last fortnight including progressive rating at the july festival that but, is a that's a serious return
2: and one of my favorite moments of itv this week uh, the the coverage for the obviously the fleeting times i watched it in um, record it, the recording later on in the day but Hayley Turner had said what a great week Callum Shepherd uh, had had seven winners last week and apparently Callum texted her and said well thanks very much for the good words but actually it was nine <laughs> <laughs> yeah he is going he is going great he's guy. definitely got he's got, always he's got, got a, more he's got a, and it, it, no he's got skill uh, and he's clearly got a really nice uh, and engaging personality as well quite tall I thought though
1: yes Mm. Yes, but he's managing that very very effectively, and that um, hook-up with William Knight, who's going so well, clearly a, a profitable one as well, as as is his retainer from uh, Bill and Tim Gredley. Now, Lizzie Kelly announced earlier this week that she is hanging up her boots, well, for the time being, at any rate, because she and her husband, Ed, are expecting their first baby, which is wonderful news, and Lizzie joins us on the line now. Lizzie, Good morning. <laughs> Um, how's it all going? How have you found the relentless media interest since uh, since you made the announcement?
4: Yeah, i um, sort of overwhelming. Actually, I was pretty blown away by um, the response that it got, and um, yeah, very flattered. So nice to know that you know so many people um, were so supportive. So yeah, it's been a nice few days
1: and of course we've been posing this question today about who was the last claiming rider to win a group one race on the flat you of course did it over jumps when you were claiming you were winning you were winning the grade one quarto star novices chase on 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 T for two a very special moment and and only better perhaps by that win at Aintree.
4: Yeah absolutely I think um, I was probably too young to really appreciate the first grade one that I I won but the second grade one was um, yeah fantastic and um. Yeah, it was. It, all all of those winners. I mean, I loved having a little claim. Like even the two festival winners, uh, they were both handicapped chases, and I still had a little three pound claim. And um, I quite liked my cheeky three pound. <laughs> <to> be <honest. laughs>
1: because as you said to me earlier in the week, you know, it wasn't about the amount of winners that you rode, but you'll be remembered for those those big race rides. Do you feel that you you were you were best on the big day?
4: Yeah. definitely. Um, I think I was, I really, I was in, I had a lovely career in the fact that, you know, I rode, I didn't ride a lot. I didn't ride a lot of winners, but, um, I, I rode a lot of quality horses. Um, and, you know, for me, it wasn't about numbers, I suppose. It was about, like, names, if you like. Like, I wanted to win, like, Champion hurdle or a Champion Chase. Like, I, it was... It was a different, I was very lucky that I was able to have a different sort of career, you know, and, and the numbers wasn't, wasn't what I was after, you know, it was, it was the big, big races and, uh, you know, I was, I was very lucky to, to be able to have a career like that.
1: And you must have had to have, or, or, or steel yourself to have a lot of confidence in your own ability to go out there and compete against, you know, we talked about Barry Garrity, Ruby Walsh, AP McCoy, when your experience was so much less than theirs.
4: Yeah, I mean, um, at times it was overwhelming. I think I kind of grew into it. I think when I was younger, I rode in a forerunner runner novice herder at uh, Newbury, actually, on, on t for 2 funnily enough, and the other jockeys were McCoy, uh, Barry Garrity and Noel Feely, and then there was me. Um, that was, you know, a bit mad, really, as a £7 claim at the time. Um, but good horses give you confidence and you know riding riding the kind of caliber of horses that I did yeah it was intimidating beforehand but once you're actually down at the start and you know they they give you so much confidence and I knew the horses that I rode so well that you know it really was just a case of you know riding the race that was in front of you and so lucky to pull a few off
1: well, very, very happy news for you and, and, and Ed this week, and, and I, as I said to you the other day, your new arrival has already been round Cheltenham.
4: Yeah, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, um, he, well, he or she managed to actually survive that fall at the last, and um, on Syrah Delac, and, God, I mean, I'm, you, 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 I'm glad I didn't know at the time you'd have been in an awful state, but um, yeah, it was yeah, it's a bit mad, that, really. I mean, that's a good
1: story to be able to tell, isn't it? <laughs> well, you'll be, sho- be showing him or her the video in years to come, I suspect, because um, <laughs> I think we all wondered how you managed to get up, um, never never mind anything else. What, um, what, a- a- apart from obviously starting a family, which is going to be your most significant priority, how are you looking to transition your-, your career now? I
4: think it's a tricky sort of path to to walk, really, because you know, being a jockey is a huge part of your identity. And I think that I have kind of been quite careful to try and do things the right way so that psychologically I don't find it too difficult. I think I've always found the home side of things very interesting, the training, uh, breaking in horses and things like that. Um, So that's something that I'll really focus on. But I I think I'll probably try to go racing kind of as often as I can, really, just to try to stay within that same um, lifestyle for a little while um, and, you know, sort of wean myself off it gradually. Um, And yeah, I'm excited about, I'm really excited about the next bit. And, you know, I think I'd love to continue doing stuff for the media and, having a reason to go racing i think is quite important um so yeah i'm yeah it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a yeah. tricky path but you know i'm excited about it and i think i ki- i kind of knew that i needed to start a new chapter when i was riding last season and everything sort of happened at the right time really
1: well i'm sure it is a path you will tread with um extremely, uh, extreme aplomb as you have all, all, all through your riding career. Lizzie, thanks so much for joining us and, and best of luck.
4: Well, thank you very much. Thank
1: you. Lizzie Kelly, who announced her retirement this week. Let's talk to Dawn Goodfellow from Racing Welfare because Racing Welfare are about halfway through raising half a million pounds this year as part of their emergency appeal in response to, to COVID-19. Dawn, the chief executive, is, is with us. Dawn, um, hi, good morning. That's, a, that's a, a great milestone to get halfway there.
5: Good morning, Nick. Yes, it is. And we're, we're absolutely delighted. Um, but it's important to emphasize our services have never been more needed. So in last year would have been our biggest year where we looked after about two and a half thousand people. This year, by the end of June, we had already worked with three and a half thousand people. So and normally um, across the summer, particularly between March and September, we would have had events that raised around half a million pounds. So, so there, there's a big gap in the middle at the moment. So we're working hard on that. And, and it, but as you say, we've already reached halfway with that appeal.
1: And do you think that because we're racing again and because TV viewers almost have never had it so good because it's on the telly all the time and it looks fine on TV compared to other sports, that we're almost lulling ourselves into a bit of a full sense of security as to what the issues are underneath?
5: Um, I think we... I think possibly... I mean, I think racing did an amazing job to be the first sport back and great credit has to go to those people who made that happen. Um, But yes, there's a long way to go and I don't think anyone would deny that. You know, fabulous though, Royal Ascot looked on the television, those empty stands, the July festival this week with no marquees up and that kind of thing, um, must have been quite a bleak place, actually, watching Roger Teal with that fantastic win yesterday um, and nobody to share it with. um, It must have been a strange experience. But I think um, that... It does work well on television, and we're very, very fortunate from that point of view. We're fortunate that we're in a sport that doesn't require um, close contact between people. Um, But but what we're hoping is that about um, two million people would go racing uh, over July, August, September, both at the big festivals and and the small days. And what we're hoping is that people would consider donating um, the cost of their ticket from their chosen race day to us to that emergency appeal.
1: And then hopefully we can get up towards that, that half a million mark. Uh, 247,000 now, though, is a, is, a, is a great number. You can donate www.racingwelfare.co.uk forward slash donate. And um, we, can, we can only endorse your sentiments, Dawn, for, for everybody to get involved. And I can't let you go without, uh, without a plug for the glorious Goodwood preview evening
5: that's right so so some of the things we've been doing have been tr- trying to fill the gap we had a very successful ascot preview evening but on july the 23rd um we've got a preview evening for goodwood with a really world-renowned um master of ceremonies mm. for that as well so thank you very much nick uh but uh, please, yes Rich if anybody available. would like to join us for that <laughs> you can find details on our website
1: Welcome back, you're watching Luck on Sunday, the morning after the announcement was made at 11 o'clock last night that Barry Geraghty, one of the true great jump jockeys of the modern era, announced his, his retirement. We've been trying to get hold of Barry all morning. To not much success, it has to be said. But I am very pleased to welcome my special studio guest this week, who is the co-chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Racing and Bloodstock Industries Group. He is the MP for St Helens. Haydock Park is in his constituency. It was going strong during the lockdown as a really important regional hub to provide important healthcare services. It is going strong now as a race course running behind closed doors. Uh, Colin McGinn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Lovely to be here. And when... It started when lockdown started and when COVID-19 really had the nation in, in its grip in late February, early March. You came on the, the programme and you gave a very emotional testimony about what was going on in, in your constituency. Just, just tell me
6: how your life has been as an, as an MP since then. Look, it's been difficult because, as I said to you when we last spoke, as well as worrying about my own family and friends both in st helens and of course in ireland and not being able to see loved ones you're worried about the hundred thousand people who live in your constituency you're worried about uh, those who are suffering from the illness those who have been bereaved because of it but you're also worried about businesses you're worried about the health service you're worried worried about the pressure on all of those things so it's been slightly surreal i think um and in that period of course there have been lots of political developments but it's nice to be here with you and it's nice that i think we're getting back to some Semblance of normality and I think for me as I suspect for a lot of people watching this program racing has been a Huge lifeline and getting us through some really difficult times the fun the joy the excitement that we've all had Watching it while not being able to go along obviously has has been great for for me I suspect for you as well, but I think for the country too, to have it back and to see sport up and running again has been has been really important
1: For someone who's had such a a great love of of racing under both codes through the last 20 or 30 years, Barry Garrity has virtually been a constant in that time, hasn't he?
6: Well, I mean, I know you can't get him out of bed this morning, but, I mean, the man deserves a lay-in. You know, I think with um, Barry, as as a friend of mine texted me last night, he's gone out at the top like Ruby. I mean, the performance he had at the festival, that ride that he gave Champ, you're never likely to see that again. But I go right back to when I was a Cub in my first year... At college when I had moved to, to England, uh, you know, with Monty's Pass, you know, I followed, I followed Moscow Flyer. Um, now, it didn't pay the whole of the rent for that term, but it got me a couple of pints and a few cheese toasties. But I think as well as that, look, it's association with Jessica Harrington, with Nicky Henderson being... J.P.'s, man, you know, not just great horses, but also horses you love, like poor old Yanworth that we lost on Friday too. But, you know, I, I get where he's coming from in this because I have to spend time away from my family during the week in London um, and it's tough when you've got kids. And, like, I'm not putting in half the graft that he did or that the lads who are going around the country. So spending that time in England and being away from your family, I think he's, I think he's made the right call and he's gone out at the top and he should be remembered as you know, one one of the one of the greats uh, in his own right. And I'm sure you, like me, would have many happy memories of him.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Moscow Flyer winning the Tingle Creek yeah, chase, probably my happiest memory. Very early days doing this job and, and yeah. still probably, as Andrew Cooper said, one of the greatest steeplechases yeah, I've ever watched. Just
6: great. Just, and great to watch. And he was, he was great to watch too, you know.
1: And he also rode the best national hunt horse I've ever seen. Yeah, Sacre.
6: Yeah. You know, it's funny enough, I think I was on size in Europe that, that day in 2013. So I don't have as fond of memories as that as I have of some of his other ones. But look, I mean, the thing about it is, he he, um,
1: here's the tingle creek moscow flyer yeah. and the
6: zerti up in welchie three absolutely yeah.
1: magnificent racehorses
6: and uh but you know a great a great character too and one of the really recognizable names in racing um you know and you've had some of those on uh, today as well and just a great ambassador for our sport and i hope he continues and i'm sure he will uh, continue to be involved but you know his his wife and his family deserve to to have him home for a bit and I suspect like a lot of people he's probably over the last couple of months given what everyone has been through looked at and assessed you know uh, his own personal circumstances but to go out on a high to go out on top after that most recent festival performance and have been doing that for 20 years uh, I mean that's you, you can't argue with class and he is class
1: so you as a passionate racing fan a passionate racing man and, and nobody needs convincing of that you're not putting it on is something that's absolutely in your in mm-hmm. your blood and in your in your DNA and we've been lucky enough to have racing behind closed doors since since June the 1st what sort of shape are we in do you think as an industry right now
6: look we're having a tough time like all other sports uh, and businesses right across uh, the country it's difficult for us because look we're we're an animal first but a people centered industry i mean other sports have you know, participants, uh, you know, one person and and a number of people might make up a team to to do to do one thing or to work to one end. Like we're not like that. You know, the number of people that it takes to get a horse to a race meeting, you know, from the from the morning to to the evening, it, it is huge. You know, the number of people you then need at race courses, all of the safety and welfare and integrity checks that we have to have. So so it's it's more difficult for us because we are a very unique uh, sport. Um, but I think a couple of things. Look, I think we got out front and, and we went to government with a clear and coherent plan and I think it's generally acknowledged by DCMS that the plan we put forward was, was, was one of the best. I think it's been really tough for people that, um, although we're back racing, it, it's hard to envisage when we can have people coming to, to racing as before. I think, in my heart of hearts, I think that's a long way off. I do think you? I do, I do. I think what we so m- this
1: this news today that Goodwood are looking to be a trial, five thousand at the end of the month. Do you think that's very unlikely to happen?
6: I'd like to see it, but I haven't seen the the details. I just think talking about numbers like that uh, at the minute um, are are tricky for for government. I mean, we, we still haven't fully opened up all of the businesses that will involve a small number of people being in close proximity but but we lend ourselves to being the first sport to have bigger crowds yeah. back just because of the size of the venues you yeah.
1: if you say if you say that we you've heard me talk about yeah. this on the show before if you say this is a park yeah rather than a stadium yeah it puts it in a different when I, look
6: at, I look at Hedock Park which is in my own constituency and the size and, and scale of that uh, is it, huge look I think we should have a phased Plan to return. I think it's been good to have the the owners back. Like you couldn't but watch that yesterday and just see the the joy of having owners back again. Um, I think we could have annual members back uh, at some courses, and then I think we can we can trial bigger crowds. I mean, we also are good at this type of thing, like track and trace, because it's it's inherent to our industry because we we work with animals and we need to do that for them. So we should be able to use that model in terms of at uh, 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 being able to very robustly put a case to government that we we can do this.
1: Where do you think the government is at with this you know, philosophically at the moment? If you if you spoke to a senior uh, cabinet minister, which I'm, I'm sure you do, mm. um, and said, what do you think about racing with a with a crowd at the moment? Where? What's their thinking?
6: Look, I want to say first of all, I think Oliver Dowden, the shadow uh, culture secretary, Nigel Huddleston, sorry, the culture secretary. I was wishful thinking on your part I mean, We're we're doing well in the polls, but not not, not that well yet. Um, But look, I think Oliver has done a great job. I think Nigel Huddleston has done a brilliant job. He's the sports Sports minister, Minister, yeah. Uh, And I think Alison McGovern, our our sports uh, spokesperson, has done a good job too. And I, and I always try to keep party politics uh, out of racing. But I'm obliged to say I don't think the government has handled has handled various things well throughout the course of this pandemic. And I think one of them is clarity for um businesses, whether that's you know sectors uh, uh, or premises um, and whole industries feel confused about the message around when they can open, how they can open what they need to do. And I think there's been a bit of that with sport as well. um and so and I, so I think where government's at is, Let's get sport up and running again, and then let's let's start to think about how we can bring crowds back. Um, but but I'm I'm not sure that they're there yet, um, and I think I think there's still a lot of caution, and that's right, and that's justifiable and understandable. But maybe we in racing now need to go to government and saying, well, well we're back up and running. We've done it safely. Everything's working properly. But you know, we, we contribute billions to the economy, and we employ tens of thousands of people and we need a sustainable plan to get back to some sort of normality that would be that would be how i would approach it with them
1: government needs to provide sporting bodies with more clarity as to as to how to go forward essentially
6: i think people i think people need to retain a sense of optimism but i also want them to be realistic about this uh, the government are dealing with a huge number of issues and it's understandable that sport while hugely important to us is further down the agenda than uh, than, than other matters but I think we, in going to government with the plan that we have as racing and having that approved and in getting back up and running, we now need to hear from government what they would like us to do. Because what we want to do, we're very clear about this, I think, as all sports are, we want to be back to normal. But the government need to give us some indication of, of, when, of, of when we can do that. But I think what the government has also been really impressed by, um, look, you know, like every other sport, we have our internecine, Fallings out and crosswords exchange, but what government was impressed by was actually racing did come together as one and put forward a put forward a proposal. The horsemen, you know, the courses, the BHA, you know, everybody came uh, around the table and said we, we, we need to we need to do this for our sport to survive. I tell you what, they were also really impressed by, and I give an example of of, of this uh, in my, in my own constituency, in my, my own region. I got a call from the Department of Health, uh, Liverpool City Region um and my local authority to say we've identified Hedog Park as a site where we might be able to provide yes. testing for NHS yeah, which staff. I've at the top. So I said so they said we know that you have a good relationship with them. You know, can you make an approach? I rang Dick and White, who's our regional director for a jockey club in the North West. Without hesitation he said, Absolutely. He says we will do whatever it takes, we will we will work out uh, whatever legal requirements there are. We we want to do whatever we can to help. I mean, that is just an incredibly powerful thing. And I was able to go back to government within 15 minutes and say, we're, we're rolling and we're on here. I think the virtual Grand National, you know, the money it raised for charity and the brilliant job that you and, and the team did on that. My, my concern was that it was too good, actually, that pe- people people, yeah. en- people enjoyed it too much. But But now that we've got the real thing back, I think people can see the difference again but i just think racing has a brilliant story to tell about what we've done for the good of the country yes. during this yes. as well as our own sport and it's a
1: story being told but now we need to figure out a way we that do. the sport can become financially sustainable again because it's not financially sustainable within this model at the moment and we're running you know group races for you know, essentially a, a net return to the owners of under twenty thousand yeah. pounds owners disappearing 1800 horses at grass yeah how would you like to see the sport remodel itself financially so that it is sustainable?
6: Look, I think that's I think that's for 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 racing to resolve uh, itself, and and that's not a cop out. But I've always been very clear that my role is is to be racing's man and be an ambassador for racing and to support all of its component parts. What I want to see racing doing is, is 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 using what we've been through over the last month to realise how precarious a position we can be in. So the things that we sometimes get agitated or aggrieved about actually aren't that important because it, it wasn't beyond the bounds of reason that we would have lost the sport completely and you're right that means we need to go back to back the first principles about what is the sport for who is it for you know, and how, how can we make it how can we make it more accessible so I so I so I would like to see the sport being more representative I think I would like uh, I would like the voices of those um, those who who aren 't the um, you know, the biggest and most successful uh, owners or trainers um, you know those those who you only see in the headlines who are brilliant for us by the way, absolutely I mean there are great a class one people that you want to have out, but if we don 't focus on the people at the bottom end of the of the chain um, th- th- then then it isn 't going to be sustainable you 're absolutely right and look the truth is we are going to lose some people from this industry because of this crisis. And I know that you had Dawn on earlier from, from Racing Welfare. And we need to do a lot to support all of those organisations in terms of helping people who, who might not see this through um, on, on the other side and try and retain and keep them involved in racing somehow, even if not as what they were doing previously. I mean,
1: there was much debate during the during the lockdown as to how strong racing's position was within, within government. As someone who is the link, if you like, between or is supposed to be the link between the industry and... And government, how how would you assess how would you assess its its cap its lobbying capability? Well,
6: I think those I think those links are strong. And look, I, I I'm a conduit, <coughs> excuse me, for for racing. But there's many really strong individual relationships in in mm. uh, in and between racing and, and and government too. So I certainly wouldn't want to diminish that or overemphasise uh, my own role. I, I I played a small and hopefully helpful part in getting getting us back up and running, but. Look, relations are good. I think we were realistic, we were sensible, and there was a sense that racing put, put the country first. And that was what I said when I spoke to you last, a really important thing for us to do. And I think in doing that, it served us well, which is why we're back first and we have a plan to get people back to our sport. And, and that puts us in a better position than most other sports.
1: And is the is the Cheltenham Festival negative publicity? Do you think that is now behind us as regards moving forward is going with the country at large? No,
6: I don't, and I worry about that. Um, because I think in politics generally, and we could talk about this all day, there's a lack at the minute of evidence-based policy making. So you look at all the evidence around Cheltenham and there's a case that racing can put um, that isn't the hysteria that you see in the papers. But I do worry about that, and I worry about the perception of it, and I think we are going to to have to address that. And I will support racing in doing that.
1: And on that perception issue, when you look at debate in government about horse racing as an ethical and sound sport, where do you think we stand now? That is not something we've spoken about the last few months, because we've had other priorities, but yeah, how precarious is our position, think, think, look, with wider society? Look,
6: I think there's become a bit of a conflation, and you had Michael Duggar on last week, there's become a bit of a, a, a conflation between you know, racing and gambling. Um, you had the hysteria around uh, Cheltenham where some people in public health, uh, you know, hugely overemphasised um, Cheltenham's contribution to the, to the spread of Covid. Racing was only following government's advice and you know, hindsight is twenty 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 vision in that regard. Racing did what it, 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 it thought was right. Um, but I think, look, I'm really encouraged that some new MPs like Laura Farris, the new MP for mm-hmm. Newbury, who's got involved in the all party group. Um, who is a huge supporter of racing. There are some good people involved, but we can't rely on a small number of individuals. And we need to, we need to take these issues head on. We need to be robust and confident in, in our own position, whether whether it's about safer gambling. Um, and Bruce Millington had a fabulous uh, piece in the racing post the week before last about the difference between gaming and, mm. and betting. And, and we, we talked with Michael a bit about that you, right? last week. And, yeah. and, we, and we, we, need, we need to be uh, robust and confident in our own, own position and all of that, in looking after our own people uh, uh, supporting responsible gambling, um, you know, being live to this idea that you're going to ban sponsorship and ban advertising, which, which would you know, have a huge impact on our sport. And, and there's this idea that you know we will automatically get an exemption from that. We won't, and we need to work very hard about that.
1: And specifically, how hard do you think we have to work to convince people that racing horses is still an ethically sound pursuit?
6: Look, I, I don't think you have to work that hard. I mean. Millions of people in this country love and enjoy racing. They might not understand it that well. So some of the debates that we have, for example, around the use of the whip, they just pass the public by. It's, it's not something I've ever been contacted about by a member of the public. But what you do have in the age of social media, um, and, and when some politicians you know, will clamour for a, a headline around some of this, you will have organizations that will get a hundred thousand signatures because people will just click a button and they click a button about anything. I get the same people emailing me about a whole range of things because they've signed up to some campaigning organization. Now that's a problem for us because it then elevates and inflates the sense that there is opposition to racing when actually there's not that much we just need to explain it a bit better.
1: Obviously the, the Labour Party is now being reshaped under Sir Keir Starmer and, and yep. your role is, is, is increased as well how would how would thoroughbred horse racing be better served by a by a labor government than the, the one we have presently
6: look i think i have a job of work to do in my own party i make no hesitation or no bones about that whatsoever it's it's difficult when people in my party who don't understand racing look at racing and see all of these links between the conservative party and individuals in racing i, I push back on that very in, very um very robustly and say to my colleagues, you know, racing is a broad you know, it is a sport of kings and working men and comprises a broad section of people. But there is a bit of a perception um, that that, you know, at its higher levels, higher echelons and governing levels, it is a sort of Tory run thing. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's right. I actually think all of those people who are politically active and involved in racing are really great people and they're doing a brilliant job for racing. I just happened to bat for the red team and they bat for the blue team. And you know that's okay because when we're talking about racing, we're all on, we're all on the racing team. Um, but look, le- le- you know, I have a job work to do in the Labour Party to, I think, reconnect us with working class people and all of those seats that we lost in the north of England. I have a Conservative neighbour for the first time in nearly 100 years. It's incredible to think that a mining constituency like Lee, never mind those seats in Durham, voted Conservative. So there's a big job of work for Labour to do and actually I think racing can be a key part of that story in terms of us reconnecting with working class communities and understanding what people like, enjoy, what their aspirations and their ambitions are. So the job is not racing's to do, the job is the Labour parties to do.
1: Which I think a, a race course like Entry has done extremely well and I know you're yeah. very keen on that with Haydouk. Without, without engagement with the community, yeah. leisure venues, race courses, yeah. cinemas, theatres, sports venues are nothing.
6: Yeah, and it's hard to talk about entry at the minute because of Rose, you know, um, and I just want to say what a wonderful person she was and how much she did to make that Liverpool's meeting. You know, Peter Dursbury and Rose coming in after it did more than anybody to open the doors of entry to bring the people of Liverpool in, to bring all of those community organisations in. She did it as she would discreetly and quietly, but she did it and she's a huge loss uh, to us and I just want to, you know, say that um, and I have said it on the record before but personally I feel it very acutely as well as for the sport. Um, but yeah look our, our, our asset are our people you know our wonderful animals um, and our venues and you know we, we want to get all that back to normal as soon as we can.
1: And that's a fitting note on which to
6: end. Conor McGinn MP thank
1: you very much indeed. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.